It's the Locked On Podcast Network. Local experts on the biggest stories. You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Vikings on the Locked On Podcast Network. Sam and Sage back together again. Sage back from vacation. Sam back from the flu, which knocked me out of yesterday's show. It was my bounce back day. I'm back, baby. I'm back. I'm about 85, 90% feeling good, feeling much better than I was. And Sage, you're back in the States after a relaxing vacation. I'm sure very rejuvenated, energized for the, the stretch run before draft season. How you doing? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's nice to be back. I had two trips in the last month, one to Costa Rica and one to Nicaragua. They're right by each other, but they're two separate trips that I took. So it is great to be back. Of course, it snowed uh, the first morning. Uh, I was back in town, back in the Midwest, and uh, so that was uh, sort of a, a welcome home present. That wasn't all that great, but... Uh, you know, I, I'm excited for spring to be here, and I'm excited for the draft to be here. And then, like, you know, it's going to be OTAs, and we'll be in a training camp, and, and then we'll be talking about uh, week one of the NFL season. So uh, we're getting closer and closer to, to, the, to the real things uh, that, that, that really matter, that really shape the roster coming up uh, in, in the coming weeks. Yeah, 16 days until the first round of the draft, which I think is held in, is it Philadelphia again this year, or is it Chicago? Uh, Dallas. Dallas. Dallas this year. And I was reading an article about uh, in Dallas they're going to have it. I think they're going to have it in the stadium, and they're going to have sections where each of the 32 NFL teams will actually have sort of a section within the stadium that they're going to fill up with fans, and that the sort of the fans will be able to, you know, you know, cheer and boo and whatever they want against each other. <laughs> uh, so it's going to be a very uh, it's gonna, there's going to be a, it's going to be a draft like no one's ever seen before. It should be interesting. That'll be unique for sure. Well, whenever you you take some time off, I always keep like a running checklist of issues I want to bring up to you and and mention to you about. And there was one that stood out to me last week. Uh, Mike Zimmer spoke out along with a bunch of other coaches at the competition committee meetings, and they basically kiboshed a proposal that would have allowed coaches to have access to video during games on the sideline. So right now they've got the iPads or the, the Microsoft Surfaces, I should say, that give them pictures, but they don't have video, and they don't want video. Mike Zimmer was one of the most outspoken coaches saying, video makes it too easy. It takes away the advantage for good coaches. I'm curious how you stand on that. What is the, the process, I guess, for, for coaches to look at those screens relay the information to players, and, and how do you think video would change the way that, uh, that the game is played? Well, in my opinion, I think there shouldn't be anything. I, you know, I, I look at it as, you know, what do high school coaches get to do, what do, high, what do college coaches get to do? You know, they don't have any sort of, they get, they get nothing. I mean, to me, that, that would be, you know, you'd have to have some really good coaches, uh, you know, then sort of draw up. Uh, you know, what happened on the play by their memory, by what they see and those types of things. Now they obviously have the pictures. I think the videos, uh, a video would even make things, as, as you said, sort of easier. It would sort of take coaches out of it, if anything. I mean, the players could sit there and look at, basically look at the instant replay of everything that happened during the play. 
and uh, you wouldn't even almost need coaches at that point. So um, I, I actually, you know, the, I, I was always surprised that we have these pictures when I got, to, <laughs> excuse me, when I got to the NFL, uh, because uh, I was, you know, it's 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 great to have, I guess, for for both teams. It helps out the quarterbacks, and, and I'm sure it helps out the defenses, uh, you know, as well. But uh, I'm one of those people that uh, I like things as simple as possible, and uh, I wish there wasn't any sort of picture or video. Now, I assume that it is state-to-state with high school, but uh, last year, Minnesota actually went all the way and allowed video for the coaches on the sideline to the point where they can watch the play like 10 seconds delayed on their phone. I mean, it's, it's insane what the coaches here can do. I'm sure that many other states haven't adopted that yet, but do you know what college has evolved to? Are they pictures? Are they anything are I you... think they're nothing. I, okay. I, I think they've got nothing on the sideline, as far as I know. And I and I'm fairly, you know, I, I call a game or two every year, and I'm, you know, usually on the sidelines of. I think I was on the sidelines of about three or four Iowa State games last year, and I, there there was no pictures or or videos or anything that I that I saw. So I'm fairly sure that they they do none of that. It's said then it comes down to a coach actually, you know, the coach up in the box really seeing what happened, uh, relaying that to the coach on the sidelines. Uh, who also was obviously watching the game, and then you know, to me, them drawing up, you know, what happened on a play, what defense uh, uh, the, the opposing team is in, uh, or whatever. And uh, and to me, that to me, that's real coaching. Uh, and and the, the, I, I'm really surprised that the Minnesota has you can watch a video on the sideline. Mm-hmm. That's that's pretty crazy to me. Yeah, it is. It's wild because I call a lot of high school football games, and I've seen coaches watch a play and then they'll get in the, the official's face about it because they just saw it and the official didn't. And uh, it's, it, it's, I, I don't think that's exactly a positive development, but uh, at the NFL level, you know, let, let me take it a step further. Let's say that this video thing does go through at some point, just the evolution of the game, uh, maybe an infusion of some younger coaches. Let's say it goes through what then are the new challenges for the coaches, you know, how, because then everybody's on the same level you know, how, how do you create an advantage at that point if everybody does have video? It comes down to then it's communication, right? It's, it's identifying more quickly what's happening and then relaying that information to your players, is it not? Yeah, and I think it, I think it would actually it would help out offenses. It would help out quarterbacks who maybe struggle visualizing things. You know, as long as those pictures, they take a picture generally right before the snap and then a picture... Uh, you know, sort of as the quarterback is dropping back, let's just say, on a passing play. Uh, and so then you get to sort of see where things start at the snap and where things end up. You know, a guy like Troy, Troy Palomalu, a safety, you know, he might start near the line of scrimmage, but, you know, in the, during the actual the second picture, he might be deep center middle of the field because he sprinted back uh, in, in, in his uh, into his pass defense mode. So, um, you know, that's sort of what you get, but you have to have, uh, a bit of a um, you know, creative mind to sort of see what happened, where guys went, you know, those types of things. Sometimes the pictures, the timing isn't always great, so you don't always get the, uh, you know, the, the best picture that, that you'd like to have. You know, you, sometimes you wish it was snapped a little bit earlier. Sometimes you wish it was snapped a little bit later. You're trying to figure out where guys went. You know, sometimes guys sort of almost disappear because they blitzed or something, and, and where did they go? Uh, so, you know, I, I think that if you had video, uh, it would sort of take away sort of the, the imagination that you have to have sometimes to, you know, put all the pieces together and the video, you actually just watch it and you could see it, uh, it would probably help out those quarterbacks who really need to see, uh, everything. 
to understand, okay, this is, this is how we should attack this style of defense because I've now seen this coverage once or twice before uh, in full video mode. So I do think it would be a advantage to the offense. Well, let me segue that into the next topic I want to bring up, and that is the adjustment of young players, specifically quarterbacks and wide receivers, into the NFL. Now, we, we've both read these articles written recently. Uh, Connor Orr and Bill Barnwell wrote about, respectively, the, the adjustment of young quarterbacks into the league, the difficulty of drafting good quarterbacks, and on the same token, the difficulty of drafting good wide receivers. And let me, let me first talk about the quarterback issue. And maybe having video would help younger quarterbacks adjust to the NFL. Who knows about that? But Barnwell wrote a story outlining how inconsistent it's been for young quarterbacks in the league as far as their coaches are concerned. I'm going to read just a quick paragraph from the story. 13 quarterbacks have been drafted since the league went to a new rookie scale in 2011, and of those 13, just four have held on to their coach for the first four years of their careers. Even that number is generous given that Andrew Luck lost interim coach Bruce Arians after one season once Chuck Pagano returned, while Wentz is only two years into his career and Patrick Mahomes just finished his debut campaign. So the point being is that young quarterbacks by nature are going to unstable organizations, teams that have lost a lot of games usually the year before. And and in the NFL, when coaches, you know, unless they have success in the first two years, it seems, they're moving on. You know, how damaging can that be to a young quarterback? And, and do teams often overlook how that can impact a young passer by, by upsetting their status quo. Well, yeah, that's, uh, you know, a lot of times they say it's not really when you get drafted, it's where you get drafted. And, and many times, you know, you know, people think that, you know, you want to be drafted really, really high. But, you know, I think that if you ask guys like Dak Prescott or, or Russell Wilson or, or even Aaron Rodgers, they were drafted to the, to the right football teams. Dak Prescott came on to a team with sort of a loaded offense and, and uh, you know a, a fantastic offensive line and good wide receiver core and tight end Jason Witten, uh, you know and, and Russell Wilson very similar. Aaron Rodgers went to a you know a, a really good old school franchise who has been around the, you know the block a million times. But then you have other guys who are also talented players, you know get drafted uh, to teams who just continue you know make mistakes whether it's personnel mistakes or coaching mistakes or or, or whatever. So. Um, yeah, it's 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 a major challenge because most of the teams that need quarterbacks uh, are often teams that are continuing uh, to to lose sort of year in and year out in the NFL. Then you throw a new quarterback, you know, into that fold into sort of a losing organization. It's really hard for you know one player to try to turn the whole thing around because sort of the odds are against them. So uh, you know, this is one of those years if if you're uh, uh, if you're one of these you know higher uh, or top quarterbacks you'd like to be drafted not necessarily to the Cleveland Browns or or to, to the Buffalo Bills teams that have generally lost in the past but you know a team like the New York Giants who have a long history um, uh, of success for the most part or even a team like uh, you know the, the Pittsburgh Steelers Roethlisberger coming into his career you know those types of teams would be you know where you'd like to be drafted not necessarily higher but to the right team. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and Barnwell also goes on to say that not a single quarterback taken in the top 10 since Matthew Stafford in 2009 has managed to make it four years with the same offensive coordinator at the helm. So <clears throat> at some point, you know, it kind of comes down to how 
how much initiative are you taking as a young quarterback? Like if you can sort of teach yourself things and not, you know, have to be, be guided by the same person. I mean, that's going to get you a long ways. If you're, if you're malleable, if you're coachable, if you don't necessarily need to be babied every step of the way, I, I'm sure that that brings you a long way. If you can be a self starter in this league, right? Oh, definitely. I mean, any of these quarterbacks are best heights. You know, you're drafted to this team. You're drafted to a certain franchise, to a certain you know coaching staff. But you know, one thing Mike Shula. Mike Shula was my quarterbacks coach my second year in the league in Miami. And one thing he said, you know, you, one thing that's guaranteed in the NFL is change. There's always change going on. So at the end of the day, it's it's your career. Uh, it, it's it's how you prepare, how you play, uh, and how you get ready, and and how you improve. And uh, you, you cannot rely on your know, coaches being there for the long haul. Uh, it's sort of one day at a time, one week at a time, one season at a time, and, and you, you do the best uh, you, you can with that. But we, it has shown sort of time and time again uh, that uh, you know, young players, young quarterbacks many times struggle, uh, which then causes you know, some sort of turnover with the offensive coordinator, uh, with the head coach, uh, whatever that might be. It's just sort of the way it's gone. And then you know, you know, sort of like by luck, it seems like about one in four uh, of these you know, high-profile quarterbacks that gets drafted they have success a lot of times and the head coach doesn't lose his job for a while. The offense corner doesn't lose his job for a while or becomes a head coach somewhere else. Uh, but, uh, you know, they have a chance to, to really, you know, sort of settle into an offense. And, you know, the longer a quarterback is in one offense, usually the more success they have. I mean, a guy like Eli Manning was in one offense or about the first 10, 11 years of his career. Uh, Tom Brady has been in the same offense his entire career. Aaron Rodgers has been in the same offense his entire career. I'm talking like the exact uh, same offense. You're always sort of new wrinkles, but same language, same terminology, all the types of things. Uh, you know, young quarterbacks that get drafted, and then, you know, year or two, the head coach gets fired, new offensive coordinator comes in, that can sometimes start this cycle uh, of new offenses, and you never really you sort of, you know, what I, I always like to say, know where the bones are buried. You know, you have to be in an offense sometimes for a few years to know all the ins and outs uh, of every pass play versus all the defenses, and you know, constantly changing coordinators or, uh, or or schemes and terminology. You never quite get to the depths uh, of an offense. You know what doesn't help young quarterbacks? When young wide receivers aren't panning out either. The Connor Orr story on SI.com. Over the past three drafts, the 13 first-round wideouts have produced one pro bowler and nine players who have never caught 40 passes in a season. Of course, Laquan Treadwell is among them. So, you know, is this chicken or the egg to some extent? Is this... Uh, wide receivers not having enough good quarterbacks to pass to them? Are the quarterbacks not having enough good wide receivers to throw to? I think we, we think of wide receiver as an easier position to play in the NFL. Uh, why do you believe this is occurring when I, I don't think in the past this has necessarily been quite as prevalent of an issue? Well, I, I think I think it was really sort of a wave happened. I, I, I believe in, you know, from about 2000 and let, let's just say 2007, eight. Uh, up to about 2012, there were a lot of court, or a lot of receivers drafted early, first round, second round, uh, that could come in and play, and they came and played right away, and they had a lot of success. And so I think the general mindset was around the league was that if you did, you know, draft a player in in the first round or the second round, you know, high in the draft, that you know that's a guy that we could start, you know, week one. Where you know if you draft a left tackle early, uh, you know, a quarterback early. 
know, some other players really early, it's, you know, there's a learning curve there. It takes time to adjust and, and really figure out the NFL game. But the receiver position seemed like, you know, they have less responsibilities. You know, they, they don't have to deal with pass protections and all these things nearly as much uh, as the other positions. And so, you know, if a guy was physically talented, they could go out and use those physical skills to, you know, to just basically win uh, with their with their physical attributes and, and, and their talent and, and, and beat, you know, defensive backs or, or whatever it might be. So I think that became this sort of wave of, uh, you know, hey, let's we, we need wide receivers uh, and we, we let let's let's draft a guy because he'll be able to play right away. And now with you know a lot of times the these contracts being you know they're they're different than they used to be. They're no longer six seven year deals that they're four year deals or whatever. You want to play these guys right away. And so I think that became a sort of second wave after the success of a lot of these guys drafted early. Then everyone started drafting receivers early, knowing that they could get a good four if not five years of production out of them before they became a free agent and, and you could play them right away. And then it seems like it's a lot of teams have missed uh, uh, over the course of about the last four or five uh, or so years uh, on these, these first round wide receivers. So, um, you know, maybe something that we thought earlier that receivers could play right away isn't necessarily as true as we all thought it was. And maybe some of that, too, is is that, you know, five, six years ago when there was sort of that influx of, of good wide receivers into the league, I think the cornerback position became so important to people that teams started bolstering their cornerbacks. They started, you know, coaching their cornerbacks um, a little tighter. They started playing more nickel. They've got more defensive backs on the field instead of linebackers covering these guys. Maybe that's making life tougher on the wideouts because the defenses maybe have adjusted to uh, what they're bringing. Yeah, and, and you know, the, also there's a lot more man-to-man uh, stuff in the last about five years than there used to be. Uh, you know, there, again, the, the NFL is always sort of changing. And, and one thing, uh, there used to be a lot more zone, a lot of you know, two high safety zones, sort of bend, don't break defenses. You know, those Tampa two, uh, you know, teams, and, and the, those that has changed a lot. Until to teams now playing a lot of single high safety, man-to-man. Uh, which is, you know, which is harder that they, they do have to, you know, win against good coverage. Where before, uh, you know, it was really more about the quarterback trying to find those soft spots in the zone and go through his progressions, you know, get pass protection uh, from against a good pass rusher. Uh, but they weren't sort of, you know, up in your face, man, man to man type of, you know, defensive backs. And so maybe that's been part of the reason uh, these receivers have really struggled. Yeah. Last one of the day. I just came across an article on ESPN. Nick Wagner who brings up the, the fact that Kyle Shanahan, for the longest time, envisioned a reunion with Kirk Cousins in San Francisco. He thought that because of their previous relationship, that when Cousins went on the market, that he'd end up a 49er. And then, of course, Jimmy Garoppolo comes on board, and the rest is history. Garoppolo, the long-term extension, Cousins to Minnesota, and uh, there you have it. But my question to you is, if you had one of the two quarterbacks for the next five years, Garoppolo or Cousins, who do you pick? I think I pick Garoppolo. I, I think he's the better. I think he will be the better player. He's got a higher ceiling. He's a better athlete. Uh, he, you don't realize how good an athlete this kid is. He's got unbelievable feet. Uh, my guess is he's probably you know just as smart and well and well prepared as as a Kirk Cousins. And I and I like uh, you know Cousins a lot. But I think you know overall, just based off of just natural talent, uh, I think Garoppolo has more natural talent. He's got a little quicker release. Uh, you know, their arm strength is probably similar, uh, but I think he's a better athlete, and I think he actually fits in the Kyle Shanahan system uh, even better with all the movement 
uh, you know, all the movement plays, the bootleg plays, and those types of things. And so, you know, plus he's younger. Uh, obviously, he's only in his in his fourth year, where where Cousins has played what about six years or seven years at this point. Um, so yeah, for so going forward long term, you know, I think Garoppolo has the probably has the higher ceiling. There's you know, there's also a little more risk there. He just hasn't played as much. He only has about a third of a season. Uh, of experience under his belt, where where uh, you know Kirk Cousins has a you know, much much larger body of work, uh, and he has shown you know what he what he can do consistently for a number of years now. The Vikings play the 49ers this year. I'm just looking here quick. Yeah, they do. They play the the NFC West, so they play the 49ers at home. You know, if you looked at that game on paper, middle of the season last year, uh, that's that's one of your automatic wins, and suddenly. That's one of your most challenging games, possibly, is that San Francisco game at U.S. Bank Stadium. That might be one of the uh, the feature games on TV that week. Uh, that'll be fun. Yeah, for the, for the 49ers being a team, I think they won six games maybe last year. Uh, they're one of those teams that sort of everyone's picked, uh, you know, possibly have a, a big bounce back year and, and get back into the playoffs. And and my guess is, even though they won, you know, I said you know six or so games last year, they'll they'll probably have their fair share. Uh, of, of primetime football games when the schedule comes out uh, in the next month or so. Yeah, I mean, NFC West is actually a pretty tough division to play this year because the, the Niners tough, Rams on the road, the Vikings have, that's tough. Seahawks aren't as good, but it's on the road, so that's tough. Arizona at home, that's probably a pretty winnable game. But anyway, well, plenty of time to get into the Vikings schedule. I think that'll be dropping in full within the next month or so. And uh, we'll obviously dissect that on Lockdown Vikings. Sage, good to have you back. And we'll talk to you again later in the week. Sounds great. He's Sage. I'm Sam. Locked on Vikings. LockedOnVikings.com, a FanRag Sports affiliate. You can follow the show on iTunes as well. Leave a rating, leave a review. Thanks for listening. It's the Locked On Podcast Network.